welcome to Love Well on Purpose, a podcast giving you biblical encouragement to love the people around you with intentionality. I'm your host, Rachel Shelb. This is week six of the Love Well series on the Love Well on Purpose podcast, and I'm so glad you've joined me. We've been looking at biblical accounts of what it looks like to love well. Last week, we talked about Joseph, and we talked about how he lavished love when he could have been bitter and angry toward his family. Today, we're going to talk about a Sunday school classic, The Four Friends Who Took Their Paralyzed Friend to Jesus. It's found in three of the four Gospels, and I can't wait to share it with you and share some insights with you from it. Let's get to it. As I mentioned, this story is found in three of the four Gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's briefly mentioned in Matthew, but then Mark and Luke both go into more details. So what we know from Matthew is we know that prior to this story that we're going to talk about today, Jesus has cast out a man or cast out demons from a man, and he cast out those demons into a herd of pigs, and those herd of pigs then jumped off a cliff into the sea and drowned. Whoa, that's crazy and hard to fathom. Even more hard for me to fathom, though, is the fact that the entire town basically told Jesus, hit the road, we want nothing to do with you, get out of town. I can't imagine. They've just seen this man's life restored. They've seen him freed from the bondage of demons, and yet they are saying, get out of here, we don't want anything to do with you. But Jesus doesn't go where he's not welcome, and so he leaves. He goes back to Capernaum where he's been staying, and then it tells us in Mark and Luke that he heals a man with leprosy. As you know, leprosy was this highly contagious disease. You were looked at as unclean. You were shunned away from the cities and towns. And so for Jesus to heal these unclean, unwanted people was just such a testimony of who Jesus is, of who God is, that he loves us unconditionally, and he's not threatened by any of our unclean behavior or experiences. So this is the scenario, this is the setup of what's happening. There are crowds and crowds of people. They have heard that Jesus is back in Capernaum. They have heard that he's healing people and they want to either see what's happening or be healed themselves. And so they crowd in. Think about if you've ever gone to a concert or someplace where it was a small venue and then they oversold the tickets. You're all smashed in there. You're tight as can be. You're like a can of sardines. That's what it was like here in Capernaum. It says that the people were even filling out to the doors and beyond. So think about how crowded that was. Even if it was a pretty large house, just tons of people and no way to get through. No one was moving out of the way because they all wanted the best seat that they could find to see what Jesus would say and do. But there's four friends. They have a paralyzed man. Some of scripture um, in the original language indicates that maybe he was um, near death with his paralysis. Maybe it was a sudden onset of paralysis. Whatever the case may be, these friends were um, desperate to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, there's no names mentioned here, and, and I think that's important because then we're not worried about um, their identities or finding out if they're mentioned anywhere else in scripture. We just know them as the unnamed friends and the unknown paralyzed man. Now, these friends are determined that they are going to get 
him to Jesus. They know that they're willing to do whatever it takes. And it turns out whatever it takes is to go up to the roof. In those days, the roof would have been um, not peaked like we generally have, but it would have been a flat roof and it would have been stairs that would have led from on the side of the house that would have led up to the roof. Um, and either there was a direct access or it was kind of a communal um, staircase that several roofs shared. Whatever the case may be, these men had to climb up and then they had to dig through the roof. Now, some roofs in that time frame would have just been thatch and lightweight uh, materials. But scripture is very clear and the wording is very precise that they had to dig tiles and remove tiles. What that tells us is that tells us that there was an extra layer of work involved. This was not an easy thing to do that took them five minutes. This required work. These men were willing to put in the work and then they each took a corner and lowered their friend down in front of Jesus. Can you imagine what that would have been like? First of all, imagine that Jesus is sitting there and teaching. We know that there were religious leaders and rabbis around, and it says, this is a key thing, it says that they were sitting by. They were not sitting at his feet. When we think about um, Mary and Martha and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, eager to learn, eager to listen, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were sitting by. They were looking on, they were um, looking for a way that they could find fault or um, something, but they were not eager to learn. But you had common people, you had Pharisees and rabbis, you had all of these people there, and they are listening to what Jesus is saying. They are hanging on his every word. They are wanting to see what he will do next. Meanwhile, up above, there's a construction zone happening. <laughs> All of a sudden, dust starts flying, dirt starts falling. Um, you know, if you've ever lived in an apartment and you've had people above you in an apartment building, think about the stomping that happens. Think about that loud noises when they're upstairs having a party or doing something. There was definitely a commotion happening above. So I can only imagine that what they did is they stopped and kind of just looked up. What is happening? Here's the best part. It doesn't tell us that Jesus like said or did anything crazy. He didn't stop and say, look here, watch what's about to happen. No, as far as I can tell, he just carried on as if it was nothing out of the ordinary. Why? Because he knew what was about to happen. Imagine knowing what's about to happen, watching all of the faces of the people in that crowd going, what is happening? And he knew that what he was about to do would be talked about for centuries and millennial to come crazy. So these four friends are determined. They get this opening and they lower their friend down on the mat in front of Jesus. What Jesus does next blows the rabbis and Pharisees minds. He says, your sins are forgiven. We said, see that in Luke 5 verse 20. Man, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking and feeling before we ever say anything. And so he knew what the Pharisees and the rabbis were saying, and they were outraged. Who is this person who can say your sins are forgiven? But Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he says, what, which is easier? Is it easier to forgive a man's sins or to heal? And he then tells the man to pick up his mat and walk. 
and then immediately. That's the thing with Jesus. Is that there's this immediate change that happens when Jesus comes into the situation. Immediately the man stood up and walked. So these friends though, let's talk about them. Jesus is over here telling them, telling the man, man, your sins are forgiven. These men have just gone through as much physical labor as they possibly could have. They have carried this paralyzed man to this house. They have climbed up. They have dug through. They have lowered down. And they are wanting their friend to be healed. And what Jesus says is, man, your sins are forgiven. Did they know? Is that what they thought? Did they think that this man was paralyzed because of his sin? That, that was a common thought at that time. Is that what they thought? Were they excited because they were like, yay, now he's going to be healed because his sins are forgiven? Or did they go, we did all of this work just for him to not heal our friend? Are you kidding me? I don't know what was going on in their head, but what I do know is that they were dedicated. They were devout and they were ready to do what it took for their friend. So while one part of the story is really important to focus on what Jesus does, that Jesus is more concerned with our heart than he is with our physical being and our physical nature, and there is definitely that component and definitely the, the component of what Jesus has done in the situation. And I do not want to gloss over that. Jesus loves us enough to forgive our sins before he ever worries about any of the physical uh, components of our lives. Jesus knows that heart change matters more than physical change. And so Jesus has the power to heal and forgive our sins. And that is huge. But I want us to think, too, about these four friends. They took a risk when they took their friend to Jesus. Can you imagine what they were thinking as they lowered Jesus down? What if this doesn't work? What if Jesus doesn't heal him? What if this is too big? What if this isn't really the Messiah? What if he's run out of miracles? We're going to have to lift him back up. It would be so much easier to lower their paralyzed friend than to lift him and hoist him back up through the roof. I can't even imagine. So these men took this huge leap of faith as they were willing to lower their friend down. They were putting all of their faith in the fact that Jesus would see him and heal him. Charles Spurgeon says something and he points something out. He says that sometimes it is more, actually oftentimes, it is more than one person who brings people to Jesus or salvation. I think of 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where it says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. It's easy sometimes for us to think that the salvation of a friend or the healing of a friend or something like that is dependent on us and how fervently we pray, how diligently we share the gospel and all of these things. I grew up in a religious organization that kind of felt that way where um, I remember being made to feel like if I didn't share the gospel with every single person, then their blood would be on my hands. I heard phrases like that. And that sounds extreme to me because Jesus has the power to save that person, whether I am faithful or not. Now there's consequences if I'm not faithful and obedient to what God tells me to do. But 
their salvation is not dependent on me at all. And so these men, it wasn't dependent on just one of them having this faith. All of them had to work together. One man could not have lowered this paralyzed man down the, through the roof. It took four of them. It took them on each corner of the mat to be able to lower their friend down together. First Corinthians, again, remember, it tells us, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. Sometimes we might get discouraged. We might have spent so long sharing the gospel with a friend, praying for a friend, praying healing over a friend, and then something happens, they are no longer part of our life, something changes, they move, whatever the case may be, and then all of a sudden you hear that somebody shared the gospel with them and they radically received Christ and they have had a transformed life or they have experienced healing or whatever the case may be. I've had that happen and it's super frustrating because I think, man, I put in all of this work. I put in all of this time, all of this effort. It's not about that. It's not about me. It's about Jesus forgiving the sins and healing the person. And that's ultimately what I want. If I'm loving someone well, I am not worried about which accolades I can get, how many pats on the back, back I get but I'm worried about the eternal condition of this person and I'm worried that I want God to heal them in whatever capacity that looks like. Um, Spurgeon goes on to say, there's a quote that says, I anxiously desire to see in this church, he was preaching a message, I anxiously desire, anxiously desire to see in this church little bands of men and women bound to each other by zealous love to souls. In other words, We've got to band together. We have got to determine that we are going to work collectively, not in a divisive way um, where we want all the glory and it's not about us working together, but it's about me and what I can do and my, um, my abilities and my powers and my fervent prayers, but instead where we bind together and where we group up and we say, you know what, this person, we want this person to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We want this person to experience freedom in their life. And I don't care if it's me that gets that, or if it's us, or if it's someone else entirely and I never know about it. But we have to be more concerned about the lives of people and about their spiritual condition and their physical condition and their healing through Jesus Christ, than whether we get any glory from it. And so I wanna encourage us to think about who we are praying for, who we are passionate about sharing the gospel with. Maybe it's um, a neighbor who you know does not know Jesus. Maybe it is a coworker, um, whatever the case may be. And then think, who else in this circle knows the Lord? Who else has a strong faith like you? Who else is a prayer warrior? How can you bind together? How can you group up so that you can fervently pray for this person's healing? So that you can fervently work together to love this person well in such a way that they don't see you, they see Christ. See, the thing is, is when these men lowered this paralyzed man, man down from the roof, it was no longer, they weren't with him anymore. The paralyzed man was down next to Jesus and these friends were up and away. See, it's not about us, friends. It's not about our proximity to Jesus. It's about getting the people who need Jesus close to him. And so we can do that through our lavish love, through our diligent, faithful 
work. These men worked hard to get their friends in front of Jesus. We have to be willing to work hard to get our friends to recognize and see Jesus, to be near him. And we have to pray for their hearts to be open and ready to receive the healing and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Friends, don't grow weary in well-doing. Work together with other people, find together with them, and pray and lavish love in such a way that they can't help but encounter Jesus. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Love Well and Purpose podcast. If you want show notes with Bible verses or quotes that I mentioned in the episode, you can find that at rachelshelp.com slash the podcast. I would also love it if you join my email list and subscribe to this podcast, whether you're watching um, on YouTube or whether you're listening on one of the podcast platforms. For more information, go to rachelshelp.com or you can find me on Instagram at rachelshelp or Facebook, facebook.com slash official rachelshelp. Thanks so much for joining me. I look forward to seeing you next week. Let's go love well on purpose.